Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton, a 19-year-old from the Bay Area studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. She Persisted is the teen mental health podcast made for teenagers by a teen. In each episode, I'll bring you authentic, accessible, and relatable conversations about every aspect of mental wellness. You can expect evidence-based teen-approved resources, coping skills, including lots of DBT, insights, and education in each piece of content you consume. She Persisted offers you a safe space to feel validated and understood in your struggle while encouraging you to take ownership of your journey and build your life worth living. So let's dive in. This week on She Persisted. I feel like we've just become this society that doesn't really want to tell people how we feel about the relationship that we are in with them. That therapist, if you are seeing that therapist, that is a therapeutic relationship. It requires work from you and also the therapist. So if you're like, anything is not working, talk about therapy in therapy. Hello, hello, and welcome back to She Persisted. We are talking about therapy again, and today we are getting a therapist perspective on a lot of frequently asked questions that I get asked or that I had when I was navigating therapy. Today's guest is Shani Tron. She's an author, a therapist. She also has an amazing TikTok presence, so you should definitely check out her videos and follow her. We talk all about the anxiety and discomfort that can come from asking for help, meeting with a new therapist, switching the therapist that you're working with, all of these things that you might have anxiety or concerns about. So my goal is that if you listen to this episode, you feel a lot more comfortable and confident going into your therapy journey or continuing your therapy journey and getting support. We also talk about the very important and sometimes challenging process of finding the right therapist for you, making sure that you have a good fit with your therapist, that that relationship is in a good spot. And if you want to know more about all these topics, she has a book called Dope Therapy, which you should check out and I will link in the show notes, where she just goes into way more depth on all of these things. She just has such an amazing perspective. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation. And as always, make sure to follow, subscribe, leave a review if you haven't, follow on social media at She Persisted Podcast, and let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shawnee. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. And yeah, I just can't wait to dive into this conversation. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I love talking mental health. So let's get it. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, I'd love to start with a little bit of your background, how you started working in the mental health field and what brought you to where you are today. So what started me in the mental health field, I feel as if that's such a loaded question because there's so many different narratives that I have that sort of play like a role, but essentially where it mainly started is I fell in love with psychology in high school. And then when I was in undergrad, my first major was actually theater. And I had this revelation one day, I don't know where it came from. And I was just like, I don't want to be auditioning for a job, like for the rest of my life. And I was like, I think I can always come back to theater. And so I ended up changing my major to psychology and I got my first job in working with children who were autistic. And from there, it just sort of like became my thing to make sure I had a lot of experience in different areas. So from there, when I graduated from undergrad, I got my first job working in a jail. Then I decided to get my master's. I've done day treatment with teens. I've worked in the home with parents and teens, private practice. I've worked on the insurance side, but ultimately where I am today 
I have always had a love of theater. And so TikTok came along and I started creating skits to help people navigate therapy. And I guess you could say TikTok loved it. And that's where we are today with what I mainly do. I love it. Were there any common threads that you noticed from all of these different therapeutic settings that you think would be helpful to share? Like all of these people are experiencing similar emotions or there's similar Mm. fears or challenges that people are experiencing that don't discriminate across these different settings? You know, I think more than anything, I really just wanted to connect with people on a human level. I think about my own sort of narrative when it starts in undergrad. I mean, you're sort of thrown into this huge social environment. Can we be honest for a second with like no legit life skills? And when I say life skills, I mean like managing money. I mean, my first semester, I ran out of money on my, what do you call it? Your meal plan? And then it was like, how do I even, what do I do? How do I eat after this? And so for me, it was, I grew up with very strict parents. And so I was struggling with drinking and really just finding myself. And so I went to see a therapist and I didn't really feel seen as a person. And so when I was working through all of these jobs, I really wanted to make sure that I see the person regardless of like, they are diagnosed with autism, depression, anxiety, if they're a teen in the system. I really just wanted to connect with the human behind all of that. So essentially, I found that in listening and truly listening to people, I found sort of my specialty as far as connecting and helping people find like, what is it that you really feel you want from life that is going to bring you joy that will create happiness? I love that. You touched on therapy, and that's what we're going to talk about for most of this episode. I want to start by talking about before therapy, when you think it might be helpful. I've done a lot of episodes talking about, okay, how do I know if this is maybe a step I should take? How do I know Mm -hmm. if things maybe aren't going as well as I think they are? But I really want to touch on all of the stigma and anxiety and apprehension that is associated with beginning your therapy journey, because I think even for myself, starting any therapy session with a new therapist Mm -hmm. is really scary. So I'd love to kind of talk there first, giving your tips about what to do if those emotions come up, and then kind of your perspective on why you think that is something that so many people experience, whether it's like a society thing, or it's just being so vulnerable, etc. So if listeners are like, I am so scared to start therapy, but I feel like this is a good step. What is your advice there? So it is scary and I want to normalize it because if you think about it, when we sort of meet someone for the very first time, it's more so sort of that surface level conversation. Hi, how are you? Are you in school? What do you do for work? But when you go see a therapist, it's like, tell me, what are your vulnerabilities and what are your weaknesses? What are you struggling with? What do you cry about at night? Tell me this complete stranger that you don't know. So that's like, I don't know if I trust you. I think that's really the biggest thing that fear comes from when it comes to going to therapy is I don't know if I trust that coming into this room, that therapist will create a safe place for what I need. That's like one piece of it. And I think another piece of it comes from what is therapy even like, especially for people that may have never gone Or if they have gone and they sort of had this like experience that tainted therapy for them, 
So that can also add to fear on different levels as well. So what I always say is just, what is it that you want from the experience and recognizing that you know yourself. So you may know, okay, I don't know what I need, but I know that things are off in my life right now. And I like to say off because I don't want to sort of encourage self-diagnosing. And so it may be like, I'm just not focusing. I feel sad all the time. I want to hang out with my friends, but I don't really text them back. Like what's going on? So you recognize something's off. And then what have you recognized maybe in the past for yourself that was helpful? Was that, okay, a friend that really listened to me? Was it someone that offered you feedback? Was it someone that made you laugh? And so if you can sort of pick out those little things, when you go to read a therapist's profile, look for some of those same feelings that may be evoked when you're reading through the profile. People may read a profile that says, I use CBT or I use DBT. And for someone that knows what those terms mean, so cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy may be like, yes, I know that's what I need. But someone that is like, I don't know what that is, may then want to read profiles that say like, I meet you where you're at. One of the things that I do when I work with my clients is I listen to them, we collaborate together. That may be like, okay, that's what I'm looking for. So you kind of start with what may have been helpful in the past to be able to see if you can recognize that in a therapist's profile when you're reading through it. That's such a great tip. And I think depending on the website, they also sometimes will say like, oh, I have a background in family systems or self-esteem yes. or mm-hmm. disordered eating, stress, sleep. Therapists yeah. specialize in all of these different things. So if you kind of know going into it, like this is what I'm really worried about. This is what I want to focus on first. You can totally find a therapist that specializes in that area, has a lot of experience, and you can just hit the ground running and get a lot of great tips and advice and support from the get-go. Yes, and I want to add something to be mindful of is if you go to a therapist's profile, however, and they're like, I do CBT, I do DBT, I I also work with trauma, I work with stress. Ah, For me as a therapist, that's a red flag because you have all these skill sets and all these different areas that to me is like, what is it that you're good at as a therapist? Mm-hmm. So if you read them profiles and it's just this long list, I'm always like, they like checked every single box on the website. Yeah, that, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. Yeah. So you work with everybody, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so. Another really good thing there is the the age demographic. They're like, I work with adults and little children and teenagers. Those mm-hmm. are really, really different types of therapy. So yes. look for an adolescent or a teenage therapist that works with yes. a whole caseload of other teens. And they're like, okay, so it's yeah. SAT season. How are you feeling about that? Or like, yes. all my clients are complaining about college apps. What is going yes. on there? That can yes. be really effective to be aware of during the therapy search. Oh, definitely. If you sort of come across a therapist that says they work with trauma, a great question to ask maybe, okay, so you say you're trauma trained and you work with all of these demographics. I want to know how do you help me, say, a first generation immigrant who is 19, who is struggling with trauma? How would you help me? Mm -hmm. That may be helpful to also sort of like weed through that process. A hundred percent. What are your thoughts on why these emotions are, are so universal with starting therapy? Like that apprehension, obviously you touched on, it's really vulnerable to go in and meet something new. Do you think there is like still stigma that we're experiencing in society or do you see it more as like the individual 
emotional block and having this new experience. I feel like it's getting better these days because we're now having the conversations from, you know, within our immediate support groups to schools to corporations, really just like not just having the conversation, but also bringing in the experts to navigate the conversation. And so the reason why it's a huge stigma is because it's passed down through like narrative, if you think about it. So what did your parents, parents say about therapy and then hear about therapy, you know? So I sort of think about my parents. Therapy wasn't something that was an option or talked about in our communities to be like, oh, you're struggling in your marriage? You should go talk to someone. No, that's not what was told. And so if that's not what they're told, how would they know to tell me any different? So I learned about mental health in school. That's where I really learned about how to navigate it. What does it look like to go? How do you advocate for yourself? And even today as a therapist, I'm still learning and through my learning, educating people. That's something that I really like about Gen Z and the newer generations is I feel from my own experience, and I've heard this a lot in these mental health conversations, is that teens really pull their beliefs about mental health and therapy from their peers. So mm-hmm. I notice that there's kind of that separation from what their parents are believing, but they're like, my, my friends are in therapy. I want to be in therapy too. Yep. Or like, this is what I'm experiencing with my mental health, and this is what mm-hmm. my friends are talking about at school, and I believe that. And so I think that's something really mm-hmm amazing to have that kind of sense of self-advocacy and to kind of collectively make that shift and ask for help when you need it and being able to advocate for that. I think that's something that's really cool to see. Yeah. And I think it's really beautiful to see too. Yeah. Because you feel less alone in the experience. I think it's one thing to be experiencing, say, anxiety, but it's another thing to experience it alone. Yeah. To, to really feel like someone can truly get where you're coming from and validate it. Like they may not understand it. So let's say if you have a friend that's never had anxiety, but when you talk to that friend, you really feel like they hear you and they validate you. That There's something so special about that versus talking to someone. They're like, yeah, so just get out of bed. Just take a deep just, breath. You got just this. Just take a deep breath. Yeah. And it's like it doesn't really work like that. Yeah. I think that's something that's also added to the equation is that teens today are experiencing more mental health challenges than we ever have before and more stress and are operating at a different level. So even if you haven't experienced anxiety, you've probably experienced stress at some point or some apprehension or fear. So there's a lot more relatability amongst the population because so many people have either experienced something themselves Mm -hmm. or have a very close friend or family member or peer that has. Oh my gosh. I really hope that parents hear that. I want parents to hear that so much because I feel like sometimes, especially when I've been working with teens and parents in the past, you can sort of hear this. What do you have to be stressed about? Stress can look different for everyone. Like, okay, yes, the parent may be stressed about bills or taking care of the home, but that doesn't mean that a teen can't be stressed about their exam or their homework or, you know, their friends, their body changing. They do have stress. And I mean, I even think about teens today. When I was in high school, I didn't have to worry about school shootings. Yeah, Teens today do. My drills were like fire drills and the one where you get under the desk. 
Earthquake jail. Stop. Earthquake. Yeah. Stop. Drop and roll. <laughs> like, oh, yes, don't do fire. that. Yeah. Don't do but that honestly, in an earthquake, guys. We really thought stop, drop, and roll was going to save our life. I've never had to do stop, drop, Literally, I've but... never seen it happen. <laughs> like, that would not be something that would come to mind if there was a fire. Like, no. What? And so I think about sort of even just navigating that where they do active, you know, shooter drills. Yeah. And, it, and it's a reminder, right, that this can happen. So you're maybe going through the school year, you know, and then it's like, oh, it's that time of the year. So stress can look different for everyone and it doesn't matter the age even two-year-olds can be stressed out because they're not getting a lollipop yeah so I think that to sort of belittle someone's stress just because they're not an adult is it's unfair yeah we also have to remember that teens brains aren't fully developed so even if you're like well I wouldn't be stressed about that the way their brain works they're more emotional they're less able yes. to ration through things and logic through things so even though you're like oh well if you were a little bit older you wouldn't be stressed about this well they are right now so that's not gonna yes. help them and adults act like we've never been teens before yes yes <laughs> Hello, like if you can just stop and remember what it was like being a teen I think that'll just change your whole perspective that's one of the best things about having a teen mental health podcast is I have so many adults on the show because they can offer so much insight and expertise that teens yeah. maybe haven't fully gotten in their life but can benefit a lot from hearing. Mm -hmm. But every single time I do these pitch emails and get on these shows, everyone's like, you know, my teenage years are so rough. I'm so glad that I'm able to maybe help mm -hmm. someone else through this. Everyone has that universal yes. experience of being a teen was really hard. No matter where they're at now, yes. no matter how great things are now or how equipped they are to navigate mm -hmm. their challenges, it's really a universal experience. Yes. And the last thing I'll add to that is I sort of think of adults that were like, oh, gosh, no, I'd never do high school over. And I'm like, <laughs> so you never do high school over. But in the same sentence, you almost say like teens have no stress. Hmm. Yeah. Let's think about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Today's episode is brought to you by Teen Counseling. You guys know I can't have a therapist on the podcast without bringing up Teen Counseling because it's such an amazing resource. If you listen to this episode and you're like, okay, I'm feeling less anxious. I definitely want to get support. I feel like I know what to look for in a therapist, but you're also not totally sure where to start. Where do I find a therapist? Teen counseling can be an amazing way to find a therapist that fits your needs. If you aren't familiar with teen counseling, it is BetterHelp's branch specifically for teenagers. They have over 14,000 licensed therapists within their online network and offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and so much more. They offer text talk and video counseling all from your home so depending on what level of support you're looking for they can meet you where you're at so if you are interested in checking it out you can go to teencounseling.com she persisted again that is teencounseling.com she persisted to find a therapist that meets your needs so the other side of the spectrum we talked about getting into therapy we talked about navigating those initial anxieties i kind of want to go in the complete other direction and talk about what you do when you feel like maybe therapy isn't working and you're like I feel like yeah. I need to try something different I'm not feeling better I'm not mm -hmm. seeing shifts what do you do at that point what are the things that you would want someone to look for other than like this is just so difficult I just want to quit obviously that's yeah. one perspective but there is the concept of maybe this isn't the right match of a therapist and so it's very possible to be in therapy and be like maybe this isn't the best that is yes. a potential outcome. So what's your advice there of what to look for and then how to proceed? Yes. 
So I want to first like thank you for asking that question because even though I'm a therapist, I, I don't necessarily believe that therapy is the only way to go about seeking help because we also have to remember that therapy isn't accessible for everyone. If that's socioeconomic status or if you're a part of a community such as like LGBT. BTQ plus or BIPOC community and you can't find a therapist that looks like you or relates to you. So I think about all of those factors. And so if you find that therapy isn't working, it may be helpful to sort of identify why you feel it's not working. Is that because you feel your symptoms are getting worse? And that could be symptoms are things like, you know, you're not sleeping, your appetite, your energy. Is it that you feel like you go every time and you sort of walk away and you're like, I just don't feel better because if you can identify the cause that helps you to be able to figure out, okay, so what do I do next? So one of the things may be the therapist might not be a good fit. It could be for several reasons that the therapist may not be a good fit. Maybe it's their style. Maybe the techniques that they're using aren't helpful for what it is that you're experiencing. Maybe they don't have experience in the area or concern that you're bringing into the sessions. So all of those viable options. The other thing is sometimes people aren't ready for therapy. And I think that's valid. It takes a lot emotionally. And I think a lot of people sort of see therapy as I'm going in one hour a week. Boom. That's the work. Oh, no. No, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's outside of the session that one hour. Like if you sort of like put it down, let's say you're awake like 16 hours out of the day, right? That's one hour. And that's just one day that you see a therapist. And most of the time you're sort of like processing the action steps takes place outside the session because most of the time we want behavioral changes in order to get behavioral changes. We have to actually put that into action. And sometimes people may not be ready. A great example might be, I don't like the way that my mom talks to me every time I go home from college, right? So then you may talk to your therapist and they may be like, okay, so let's set some boundaries. You may not be ready to implement the boundary with your mother. So then yes, you continue to talk about it, but the necessary step is going to be taking action. So at that time you may say like, okay, great. I've sort of come to the point where I feel comfortable. I've recognized that boundaries are needed. I'm just not ready to take that step. But also remembering that it's important to surround yourself with community and support. So that may be other friends or another adult that you can talk to. And one of the other things, yep, I'm going to say it. I know people journaling, I'm going to say it. Journaling is so important because it gives your thoughts a place to go. And if you're working on yourself, being able to look back and reflect and see where you were, let's just say a month ago and where you are today can really help you with like, oh, I've been writing about the same thing for the last month. Nothing has really changed. Okay, where do I see improvements in my life that I can sort of like switch around a little bit? Yeah, I also love what you said about not necessarily being ready for therapy because I feel like that's something a lot of teens experience if they aren't necessarily the ones spearheading this journey. If you're listening to this podcast because you're like, my parents yeah. are making me be in therapy. I don't know mm. what to do about it. I'm just looking to either speed this along, whatever it is. But especially in being a teen, that's something that's really unique that you don't see in a lot of other demographics, whether it's adults struggling with all these different things. If they're in therapy, a lot of the times it's because they're the ones that have advocated for yeah. that. As a teen, there is a 
high likelihood that maybe you weren't the one that made this decision, whether it was Mm -hmm. a counselor or a teacher or a parent or a doctor. So it takes time to kind of not only warm up to the idea of being in therapy, but develop your own reasons for wanting to make shifts and see changes and get better. And so I think that's something to also be aware of when you're like, is this working? Do you want it to work? Because for a long time, I was like, it's just not going to work. So I would go through the motions, Mm -hmm. I would show up at the sessions, I would run out the clock, but I didn't want to get better. I didn't believe that I could get better. And so I didn't see any changes. And so it definitely is a key step in the process, wanting that for yourself and deciding what you're working towards. And it can be different from what your parents are hoping for. Maybe your parents are like, her grades are so bad. So that's why she's in therapy to develop better skills and I don't know, do better in school. But maybe you're like, I'm just so stressed all the time. And that's why I don't have the energy to work on school. So I want to work on stress and being able to have better ways of navigating that stress. So I think that's another thing to be aware of as a teen. Yeah. And the other thing too that I want to add is it's totally okay to tell your therapist, I actually don't want to be here and my parents want me here so that the therapist can really hear your side. Even though you're a teen, that therapist is your therapist, not your parents' therapist. And if your therapist is reporting to your parents what you were talking about in the session, that it's not okay as parents are not supposed to have access to your notes, unless for some reason it's mandated reporting and mandated reporting may be like child abuse or that you're going to harm yourself and not just and saying your therapist I harm should myself. be telling you that they're yes. telling your parents that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And knowing too, like, if you don't feel comfortable talking, you can do things. I've totally sat down with teens and sometimes we play puzzles to like build rapport because sometimes you're doing activities and you don't even realize that you're talking and it sort of like warms you up and feel more comfortable so if you don't want to be there ask I your bring therapist. funny tiktoks to sessions like so yes, many hey oh definitely therapy does not just have to be talking i think about sometimes i used to have clients that would come in early in the morning and they would like lay on the couch they get the pillow get the blanket and then i'd let them sort of sit for like 10 minutes and then it's like, hey, what do you want to do? You want to play a game? You want to do puzzles? How can we sort of make this your time and not the time that your parents are telling you to come here? Yeah, I think that's huge. So if you've identified that it's not the right fit, you're not seeing the shifts that you want to, you've been like, I feel like I'm invested in this, I'm giving it my all, mm-hmm. and still I'm not seeing the outcome I want. How do you break up with a therapist? Because that's something Uh, that you can do. It's something that is okay to do. It's okay to switch providers. And Mm -hmm. I feel like most people don't know that. They're like, I have one therapist. I rest of my life. That's how it's going to work unless I Mm -hmm. move or have this crazy change happen. No, you can switch therapists. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. How do you navigate that transition and then what is helpful for you to hear as a therapist? Have you ever had someone, I don't, not like ghosts, but text me back, I'm done with therapy, bye. Obviously, it's helpful <laughs> to be here. Okay, yeah. like, I think this is what I'm going to try and focus on, or I'm going to try some time outside of therapy and then maybe revisit. So what are, what are mm-hmm. your thoughts there? Yes. Yeah, so the first thing that I w- would say is there's several ways that I sort of see with breaking up with a therapist. If you're someone that knows, okay, this isn't going to work it's okay to ghost. I want to validate that. We're not your friends. So you're not ghosting a friend. It's a very And your therapist way... has so many skills to be able to navigate that. Like it's exactly. not like some emotionally unstable ex-boyfriend. They're going to be fine. Yes. They will move forward. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. We think about you. Yeah. Because I've definitely had where I'm like, man, 
I wonder where that client is today. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they're okay. So that's the first thing. You can that's totally That's why ghost. I think I bring so much to the play as a therapy client because I'm like, they can just listen to my weekly podcast. They know exactly how oh, things are going. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is really, so yes, funny. That's true. The Therapist, that... if you're listening, hi, we're doing well. <laughs> it's, it's going okay. You're like, okay, great. Good to hear. Another thing that I would say is asking yourself, like, why is it that you want to break up with your therapist? Okay, so short story. I did try to break up with my therapist. So the best way I can describe it is it was the new therapist that I had started seeing. And the way that their scheduling was set up was different than what I was used to. So I, as a therapist, when I get a new client, you get on my schedule and then I just add you. It's just every two weeks. It's just a reoccurring appointment. This particular therapist makes the appointment after every session. That's weird. And so I was like, oh, I don't know. So that means like, what if there's someone that you saw yesterday and they're like, I need five sessions next week. And then the spots are living. I don't know. So it's sort of. And like there's a day for therapy. You're like Tuesday's therapy day. I save up all these emotional things to talk about for Tuesday Mm -hmm. and then we reset. That's just how the world works. Exactly. So that for me was different. And then I remember I was like, oh. Well, I just want to do a reoccurring appointment. And I remember the therapist, I think, reacting like in a way I was like, oh, you don't like reoccurring appointments. So I, I made the next session and then I emailed them immediately afterwards. And I was like, hey, I don't want to let you know. I was like, all in my feelings. And I was like, I didn't like the way you looked at me when I asked for the appointment. I'm just letting you know, I don't want to work with you anymore. And so you can email them. Here's the thing, though. My therapist was a great therapist and they were like, no, Shawnee, you can't email me. I'm going to call oh, you no. <laughs> about your email that you sent me. And I ignored it. But then she left me this really beautiful message. And she's like, I'm hoping that you will allow me to explain myself and let's talk about it. And you actually not get charged for it. I want to give you a free session to talk about this. And I was like, oh, wow, you really care about this. And essentially what it came down to is they explained to me how their scheduling was going and they had never had anyone ask, well, can I just get a reoccurring appointment? And so it threw them off. It wasn't that they didn't want to make it. They were just trying to process how to handle that. And we ended up continuing to work past that rupture and it ended up being really great. So I say you can email, but I say knowing why, because if I would have just sent that email and not responded to the voicemail, I would have been without a therapist, but the therapist took the time to explain to me. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I don't need to end. So you can email. Another thing is talk about it in your sessions. Like if you're sitting there with your therapist, good therapists can handle constructive criticism and feedback. So if you're just like, Hey, I just want to let you know, this isn't working for me. The therapist can help you figure out what isn't working. Is it the therapist's style? Because here's the beautiful thing. Therapists are ethically required to give you referrals. So if you tell your therapist this isn't working for me and this is why, that therapist can offer you referrals to help you find a therapist that may be working, which takes the legwork out of it. Yeah. I think also you are using a lot of really great skills to be able to have that tough conversation and set that boundary. And whether it's a phone call or an email or in session, Mm -hmm. you're doing the therapy work just in that. When you have someone on the other side of the couch or the table or whatever it is, who is really hopefully very effective and has a lot of experience using these skills, but you're building that muscle of having tough conversations, setting boundaries and advocating for yourself, which is something that's really cool. And I think worth celebrating if you can set that boundary and make that shift. Yeah. 
And advocate for yourself too. I think it's also effective communication skills where I feel like we've just become this society that doesn't really want to tell people how we feel about the relationship that we are in with them. That therapist, if you are seeing that therapist, that is a therapeutic relationship. It requires work from you and also the therapist. So if you're like, anything is not working, talk about therapy in therapy yeah yeah well i love that for listeners who want to continue to consume your content you have a book coming Mm -hmm. out and just continue to follow along with you where can they find you so i always say it depends on what you want to (laughs) find if you want more of sort of the straightforward mental health content you definitely can find me over on tiktok if you want more of sort of a personal insight to not just mental health content, but my life. You can find me on Instagram because that's where I like to hang out with stories. And then, of course, if you are just trying to navigate therapy in general, you can purchase the book Dope Therapy, where books are sold, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. What is that? Amazon. There we go. Amazon, <laughs> which literally can guide you through how do you find a therapist, questions to ask a therapist to see if they're a great fit, how to do the work in the session, understanding trauma, how to break up with your therapist. And there's exercises in the book to be able to help guide you on your journey. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited we got to do this. And I know this conversation is going to be so helpful for so many people. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of She Persisted. If you enjoyed, make sure to share with a friend or family member. It really helps out the podcast. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also make sure to follow along at at She Persisted Podcast on both Instagram and TikTok and check out all the bonus resources, content, and information on my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. Thanks for supporting, keep persisting, and I'll see you next week.